0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. And welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be on this lovely Sunday. Well, a little overcast here in Los Angeles, but... Uh, they say they promise it's going to burn off and uh, we'll have a, a nice sunny day like we did yesterday. Anyway, uh, my name is Dr. Jeff Warber, your host here for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Here for you, here for your pets. It works well if you call us, if you get a hold of us. Very easy to do. Number one, telephone 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. But better yet, we want to see your pets. We want to see you live. And you can do so by joining us here on Zoom. You go to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff under PetLife Radio. So PetLifeRadio.com. Click on shows. Go to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, and there'll be a link left to you there. Just click on it. It's a short link, and you can join us here live. Any questions you may have, any issues, anything, I know that a lot of you have questions. Because if you didn't have questions, why is my phone ringing every 10 seconds? I'm at work with people asking me questions. So um, I know that if your vet is as available to you as my clients are to me, then maybe that's why you don't have questions. But guess what? I kind of doubt it. (laughs) I think that uh, if you have any questions, now's the time to ask. Anyway, so just to to break some ice before we uh, as we get started, I like to peruse what's going on in the a- industry, and this one caught my attention because I know it's a hot topic. Would love to hear what you think about this. We'd love to hear what you thought about how it was back when I was in vet school forty years ago, and uh, and that is the following. So when we have student surgery, the way it was, and this was a big difference between different vet schools, there was one theory, which is what we did at UC Davis, which is we were uh, given our animal for the quarter, the surgery, our rotation, and that animal was with us through our rotation. So obviously we started with simple things and then we went to more difficult things. And, uh, and then ultimately we, the, the animals were euthanized humanely, just not giving, waking up anesthesia after anesthesia. Other students had something where they would do the surgeries with anesthetized animals. These animals were, by the way, shelter animals that were on death row. So they were donated by the shelters, knowing they were going to be put to sleep anyway, sadly. And so at least let's use them as a teaching tool. And so the other um, way it was done was we would have dogs that, or cats that were done for that surgery. They were never allowed to recover. So after the surgery, which was obviously highly supervised by the professors, by the surgeons, um, the animals were immediately put to sleep. There's arguments to and from, I, I get it. I kind of like the fact that you get to recover an animal and see how it's doing, but uh, then others might argue, well, but yeah, but if you did something wrong and, you, and, the, and, the, and it wasn't seen, it wasn't, then the dog animal can be in pain. Uh, you know, I, again, it can go both ways. Now, because of changing in attitudes, and I mean all across the board, not just the public, but also the professors, also the students, they don't want to use animals at all. And that led me. I mean, they were doing on cadavers. Some schools started doing on cadavers. I personally, as someone who does a lot of surgery, I would not have been comfortable going in for that very first surgery on a live animal, never having worked on a real live animal. The tissues aren't the same. The body fluids aren't the same. The bleeding is not the same. And you think you have a false sense of security, then you get into real surgery. And trust me, your real surgeries are usually, as a young veterinarian, are not going to be supervised as we were in veterinary school. It's the owner hospital, the owner of the hospital, the head doctor, they're busy. They're not going to sit and be breathing over you. So I didn't like that. So here's something new. And I've seen it in one of the trade shows last year. Now, two years ago, last year, there were no trade shows. It, it's by a biotech company called Syndiver, developed a synthetic cat. And I've also seen one in a dog for teaching surgical techniques. Apparently, it's even though it's all synthetic, the tissue is like real. It is slimy. The vessels really bleed. Everything's worked as a pump. So if you hit a bleeder and you uh, and you do not fix it, you are going to have blood. It really gives you that touch and feel. I have not used one, fortunately, at this stage in my career. I don't need one of those, but it would be really cool to try it and see if that gives you that real sense of working on a live animal when the time comes. And I always throw this back at you, the pet parent. How would you like it if the doctor, the young doctor who you like, is doing surgery on your dog or your cat and has never done surgery before on a live animal? That would be a little bit frightening, wouldn't it? So I kind of like the way we did it. It was very humane. We all highly supervised. And uh, we had, fortunately, and uh, we had no types of disasters of any kind. I think that's a better way to go. Anyway, think about it. Chime in if you want. You can join us. Let me know your thoughts about this one. What do you think is better? And how would you feel having a doctor do surgery on your pets that has never really learned, actually hands-on learned real surgery? I don't know about that. This is interesting. And this also, next story, comes from the human side as well. And there is something that on the human side, it's called Alzheimer's and also known as dementia. And there's some medications. Well, here's an interesting link that was discovered. And there are so many reasons that we know that it is critically important to have your pet's teeth in good shape. Cleaned regularly, gums treated regularly, avoiding The plaque and tartar buildup calculus, dental calculus, avoiding periodontal disease. And here's one more reason to add, not just, not just the bacteria in the mouth, in a really bad mouth will colonize in the kidney, glomerulus of the kidney, causing glomerulonephritis. Not just because they can colonize on heart valves, causing endocarditis, but here's another one. They feel there's a link between CCD, which is canine cognitive dysfunction, i.e., doggy Alzheimer's and the degree of periodontal disease. And so that's interesting. And the severity of gum disease leads more to a greater likelihood of dogs developing CCD, canine cognitive dysfunction to Alzheimer's. And this, by the way, right? has STEM's similar studies done in humans with the same results. So what does that tell you, everybody? Go to your dentist. You want to avoid periodontal disease, and you can possibly avoid Alzheimer's. And am I, now thinking back, my grandmother must have had a lousy teeth because she, she was really bad at the end. I mean, she lived a long time, hitting well into her 90s, but still. Okay. So, oh, this is also pretty cool. And again, I obviously don't work with horses anymore. I mean, I'm in in the city in Los Angeles, California, and you know, a couple of blocks away from Beverly Hills. No, I don't see many horses. However, this was I did work with an equine surgeon uh, as a pre-vet. Um, in fact, I think that's one of the ways I got into vet school because this guy was like world renowned. Wrote me a great letter. I learned so much from this guy. Anyway, that professionally administered is called caudal traction. That means pulling the tail of a horse. Basically, you pull it at a 30 degree angle. And that seems to help these horses that have spinal pain. And the thought is that the muscle, the nerves that feed these muscles, they extend all the way back to the tailhead. So therefore that when you gently, folks, nothing you should do at home. This is meant for someone who knows what they're doing but that it, it's almost like a, a chiropractor. You've seen chiropractors work. You're not going to start doing chiropractic manipulation. Save it for the chiropractors. Well, you save this for those that know how to do it. So basically, they feel that, that this maneuver can help stretch muscles and relieve some of the problems with what we call the muscular spinal pain that we uh, see in some horses. Now, pets. There were two stories that I, I kind of love. Uh, number one is the other one's coming up later. Here's good. Now, I've always joked, and a phrase I'm going to coin, my good friend, Dr. Marty Becker, basically coined this in his book about the healing power of pets. But, you know, get the terrier instead of the tutor. Why? Well, stress students think better after pet therapy. So university of students with high stress levels who interacted with trained therapy dogs in a four-week uh, program, basically had greater improvements in executive function than those who actually participated in information-based stress management programs. So instead of spending money on all that, rescue a dog and make sure your high school kids and your middle school kids have a dog, and um, they will do better, which will be, uh, actually, we may as well go to that study now, because speaking of high school, another study, again, we know that therapeutically animals are amazing. So that therapy dogs. They're going to be starting this as being a student in Indiana. They're going to be spending time in middle and high school every day to provide comfort for students and staff. And they say interactions with animals can help kids gain self-confidence and support learning. And there was a statistic that something kids in a household growing up in a household with pets scored on average five points higher on IQ exams and did had better grades in school. So, you know, it's good to teach them responsibility right? That's why you have them helping with the dishes and sweeping the floors at home. Well, if you do, it shouldn't, you should be making their own beds. But as far as the schooling is concerned, education, they seem to do better. They're uh, more relaxed. And I don't know, I I had lots of animals. I did pretty well in school. I don't know. I'm just saying that maybe that's what it was. Who knows? So next up. Oh yeah, this is a good one. You'll like this, especially those of you who have pitties and pit crosses that the AVMA actually cautions against blaming breeds for bites. And here's what happened. This is a really, really sad story. But you know, it, it, as they say, poop happens. A family had a pit bull mix that was apparently, according to neighbors, a phenomenal dog. Literally, it would sit down on the outside porch and, and they pet the dog. And the dog was friendly. Who knows? Because we don't know always what's going on inside of them. But the owner, the mom, was holding her one month old infant baby. Okay. And uh, some reason they don't know exactly what happened, why it happened, but their pity jumped up. All right. And started biting the baby and it killed the baby. And so there is obviously uh, investigations going on. The dog is, is in quarantine right now for two weeks. It was the family dog. The event they say was a total accident, but we don't know what was it about that little baby that made the dog think that it can jump up and bite it. And obviously, my first thought is you have something very, very small, and mom's holding it. And maybe that's what she did before she tossed the dog its toy. And she was holding it and not tossing it. So the dog said, well, that's my toy. I'm going to get it myself. Again, we don't know what goes on in their heads. But it, uh, again, it's because of the breed being a pitball cross it incited a lot of the, those old theories that we have to ban certain breeds. Now, I will tell you, I work with two rescues. One is exclusive, right, uh, pit bulls. And the other one is, uh, I wouldn't say exclusive, but they, they get a lot of pit bulls because a lot of pit bulls are available. And I see many, many, many pits, pit bull crosses. And there's nobody that knows this breed is a pit bull itself. It's the American pit bull terrier. There's a Staffordshire terrier. Um, there's a bull terrier. So there are a lot of breeds that go into, I mean, the lines now are so blurred uh, between the different breeds. They just call pit bulls, but it really is sad when these animals are labeled, but it does. Um, there is a reality. So I would be careful. My daughter has two pitties has a son who's two and I watch him interact with these dogs. And I mean, if they did the, the stuff to me, that they do to the dogs, i bite the kid. I mean, they, he is really pulling them by the ears and cl- using them to climb up and step on, to, to sit on the, to get, you know, access the couch. And they just sit and they tick it and they lick him in the face. It's amazing. And I warn my daughter all the time. I said, Shane, don't let him do that. You still got to watch that. There's still dogs when it boils down to it. Who knows what, how they're going to react. You know what? It's that time. Let's take a quick break first. We're going to come back and talk about some marijuana and our pets and some legalization issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check, a nationwide pet insurance alternative. With Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S., Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats, regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EasyPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Take a bite out of your competition. on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit petliferadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet, Life radio. pet, Life radio. pet Life radio. <laughs> Hi, right, and welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. You're your host here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. So before the break, I gave you a little tease about legalization of marijuana and some issues that our industry is having. And and according to, I would say some, I say many vets, myself included, legalizing pot marijuana, whole marijuana, for pets is potentially dangerous. There's too much we still don't know. And the climate, the whole, you know, the, 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 um, uh, industry has changed so much when it comes to marijuana. And I've mentioned this before, you know, back in my day, and this is going back way back, way, way back. You know, you wanted marijuana, you bought a lid and a lid was an ounce to tell you how far back we're talking $10, $10 for an ounce. Uh, you had hashish hash. Uh, you had what was the new thing towards the end of this was uh, the tie stick, which was more expensive, like for three of them, 15 bucks. Ooh. Right. So now uh, there are so many varieties. I'm sure none of you have ever gone to a pot store. I'm sure never walked into a pot store. But for those one or two of you that have, um, especially those of you who live in Colorado, there must be, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 varieties, and each one with different strengths and grown in different places and grown. Who knows? It's like such becoming such a science. So in order, we know that THC, which is the psychoactive element, the ingredient of pot of marijuana has toxicity levels. It really does. And it can be very dangerous. And I'm sure you've seen idiots posting on the internet videos of their dogs having had such THC in the marijuana from eating the brownies or eating the cookies. And uh, it's not pretty. I mean, it's, it's darn right dangerous. And their animals have died from pot butter, which I understand is extremely potent you know, it's a big concern for me. Look, the benefits are there, and I there are many of them, and I am an advocate, but there needs to be a lot more work done. Now, in California, they just apparently legalized CBD as long as it's derived from 100% industrial hemp, and CBD has a lot of benefits. I've recommended. I've actually used it for one of my dogs when I had Pierce, my big uh, labradoodle, who was fighting cancer towards the end, he made it to 14 and a half. I mean, he was an amazing dog. And uh, I had him on CBD. In California, though, we were not allowed to, until recently, prescribe it, sell products with it, or recommend it. So it was you know, a little frustrating because in other states, like in Colorado, it's been in use for a while with a lot of great success. So my recommendation is that because more work needs to be needed, I would try to Be very, very, very cautious with THC. I mean, very, very low dosing if you're going to try it. Speak to, if not your veterinarian, who may not have experience, try to find out a veterinarian who does have experience with it. Maybe even have your vet talk to that vet and just to get a feel for how to dose it. CBD is pretty darn safe. There are some really good products online, uh, good products out there. I'm actually testing one right now. So it is, it's a CBD from 100% industrial hemp. And um, I think that it's going to be a, a market that's going to explode in a good sense. There are going to be great options, but don't rush into it and don't be dumb. And you know, remember one thing, you make those brownies, okay? You're going to have a bite, a two, half a brownie, whatever. That dog sees that plate, they're all gone. And the same thing with the cookies. So when you start putting it into products that dogs like, they're going to eat the whole, they don't know when to stop unless you stop them. So- just it's uh, something that you really want to uh, kind of think twice before you uh, before you do it. Next up, there's something out there which I like called cat cams. Now, I'm sure many of you thought about doing this. I did some stuff with my dog. I put like one of those uh, GoPros on a harness I have for him. And just to see from the dog's POV, from the dog's point of view, what are they doing? What are they looking at? What happens with their posturing when they go see another dog? And I think it was, it was really cute. It was uh, actually people liked it. But there's a study being done at the University of Guelph. Uh, that's one of the the top veterinary schools in Canada. They were attaching cameras to the collars of pet cats to find out these are cats that are in and out. Where do they go? How far do, we, do they stray from home? Do they encounter any danger? Are they running across a busy street? What the heck are they doing when they're gone all day? So um, I think that's... Um, that is something that's pretty cool. I, I would love to know the results. That. I have a lot of cats and uh, between five and six, uh, I have had six, but my daughter has stole one of our cats because uh, she has two kids that love the cats. And so she, she, they live four blocks away. I'm waiting for that phone call. Dad, can you take Bugsy back? So it might happen. My son-in-law is kind of a little bit allergic to cats. so But he, so far, it's been great. And my granddaughters love the fact that Bugsy's at their house because they love Bugsy. So, so, but right now we have five. So they're all indoors. My cats have always been indoors. I get very nervous living in a city like LA where there are a lot of cars. There are dogs. There are coyotes, right? There are skunks. There are raccoons. I don't want my cats out there. No, no, they have not made in the house. And uh, they get their square meals. They get clean litter boxes. They got a lot of toys, a lot of human interaction. And guess what? They didn't want to go out. I mean, one of my cats was literally adopted from the street now the other my two of them that came from uh three of them came from my office okay and one was given to us and one was literally off the street and he is at first all he wanted to do is make a beeline and get out of you know he was now outdoor cat now he's got it made i think he now realizes how well he's got it so he'll he can walk up to a wide open door and he'll go to the, the door itself all right at the threshold and at the frame, and he pokes the head outside to he look to the right, look to the left. Nah, turns right, right around, comes back inside. He, he knows how he's, well he's got it. He, he's not going to risk going outside again. Anyway, so I thought that was pretty cool. Talked about the therapy dogs, but I wanted to briefly cover. I, as I talked to a lot of my friends and people that I know personally, clients who are coming in for health certificates, people are start to travel. And with that, They are going to be, hopefully, if they can, of course, traveling with their pets. So just some words of advice um, for your pets. If you are planning on traveling with your pets, make sure, first of all, how you are going to travel? Where are you going to on the other end? If you're going to a hotel that advertises pet friendly, you still want to call them and let them know what you have. Because I've had clients turned away because they were pet friendly. Yeah. For dogs under 35 pounds. And you all of a sudden you show up with that 75 pound lab. uh, And I'm sorry, no, we can't, we don't, we don't do that. So you need to know exactly what they're, if they have limitations, what they are. Are there certain days of the week, certain times, certain type of room, and that may not be available. Don't go just by a a hotel advertising pet friendly. If you're going to stay with somebody that you know, make sure they know you're bringing a dog. If it's, especially, I mean, whether it's friends or family, you show up with that dog and they weren't expecting it. Trust me, the last time you're getting invited. So you want to make sure that they are well aware that you're traveling with your pet. If you're driving, make sure your pet's good in the car. Make sure you plan for plenty of stops, bathroom stops. Make sure you have some water that you can stop in. And, and, and also, just these are simple things. In the car, they need to be confined either in a, a carrier or in a harness that hooks into a seatbelt. They should not be running around loose in your car. That is dangerous for you, dangerous for them, and that's a a no-no. So they need to be under control. When you open a car door to get an animal out, make sure you first put the leash on and have the leash in your hand when you open the door. So you can put down the window first, grab the leash, however you do it. You do not open that car door without that animal under your control. Airlines, make sure that you check with airlines first and have the health certificate they want. A lot of airlines um, will have their own form to have your veterinarian fill out and you fill out, which is great. But uh, if they need a health certificate or the state that you're going into requires a health certificate, make sure you have a health certificate. Make sure the vaccines are current. You need to travel with your vaccine records and any medication that your pet may be on, you make sure that you have enough of a supply. Take more than you think you need in case for some reason you're going to be delayed. Identification, not only have a picture of your pet, but Make sure they're wearing identification tags and are microchipped. Make sure you have your pet's microchip number handy. It should be with you at all times. You should put it in your phone so you have it. You can take a picture of the of the certificate. That, too, is very, very important. I've given stories before where animals are found 300 miles away. I mean, somehow they got there. They did not walk or run 300 miles. They were picked up. They were taken. They were driven somehow. So animals can break away and get lost, especially if they're in an area that they're not familiar with, they may be trying to look for their home. So it's very important as well. Food. Make sure you bring enough food, the food that they used to be eating or that you know for sure in advance, you've planned that you can buy that food wherever your destination is. So that's important. A trick about water. If you're traveling by car, what you want to do is every time you reach a destination, a location, you start with like a two gallon jug of water. And then you feed them the water, all right? Then when you get to the next stop, fill the water with uh, your jug with local water, all right? Mix it. Then when you get to the next stop, and then during the travel, they drink some more water. Next stop, do it again. What you're doing is you're gradually reintroducing and introducing him to water changes. So they don't finish that whole gallon, two-gallon jug or gallon jug from your home water supply. And then you get to another destination and use that water and they're going to have some problems potentially. So this way, it's a great way to gradually ease in a different water supply. And last thing, airlines, again, I'm jumping around here because all these things are coming to mind. Airlines, service dogs are now pretty much a no-no. They have to be trained therapy dogs and licensed and documentation. A service dog, because of you know, whatever stress you may have, whatever agoraphobia you have, whatever it is, these most airlines now are not allowing service dogs. So be prepared. Small dog has to be able to fit in a carrier under the seat in front of you. And large dogs or larger dogs that don't fit under the seat in front of you have to be down in cargo. So again, make all your arrangements, do your homework, check out what you may need to know. I will tell you though, it is great when you get travel with your pets. And if you choose not to, uh, make sure you get a good pet sitter, make sure that it's somebody they know, a doggy daycare, a boarding facility, and also make sure that you know their standards. And also if you're coming from a state, when it comes to vaccines, in some states, rabies, like in California, it's good for three years, but other states it's only good for one year. So if your rabies vaccine is two years old, you may need to update it just because of where you're going. And also, There are seasonal diseases that we have to worry about. For example, Lyme disease, Northeast especially, all right? Heartworm disease, now pretty much almost all across the country, though some states don't really have mosquitoes. So if you are traveling and planning to travel someplace where mosquitoes are an issue, coming from someplace where they weren't, you want to get your pet tested and start on heartworm preventive ASAP, ideally a month before you travel. You should have the first dose already in. So talk to your veterinarian about that as well. i covered everything if there's something i missed let me know we can talk about it if you have any questions otherwise thanks for joining me here on pet life radios ask the vet with dr jeff any subject you'd like me to cover in future shows just reach out to me i'd be happy to help educate you make it fun make it informative and um, would also always love to see you have you join me here live with your pets and we can talk pets that's why i'm here have a great week everybody see you next week bye-bye let's talk pets every week on demand